I find that people are so interesting. Have you noticed this? People are so interesting, regardless of backgrounds, regardless of belief systems, regardless of the history of your family, regardless of the color of your skin. People are just interesting. Uh, If we were having a one-on-one conversation, I would say that people are just weird. Right? People can be so weird. We're so unique and so different, and a lot of it has to do with personality. There are all kinds of personalities. There's a whole slew of different kinds of people out there. You have your people that are extremely extroverted. Uh, these are the ones that the introverts run away from. And these are the ones that are really loud, center of attention, like, ah, those type of people. You have your introverts uh, that the extroverts are running after uh, to try to talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. And they're like, no, I need a break from you. You have your quiet people. You have your people that are tall, right? You have your, your tall people and short people, skinny people and used to be skinny people. Right? That's really more physical than personality, isn't it? We have so people that think of things that you're just kind of like, and you thought that was a good idea? You know, driving down the wrong side of the road for whatever reason. Uh, Painting your house a neon pink. Does anybody have a neon pink house? Good. Okay, good. Nobody's going to be offended unless you're watching, I guess. I don't know. I wonder, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, why would you do that? Uh, but people have their reasons to do the things that they do. People are so interesting to me. And I find as I was observing through James chapter 4, it has so much to do about getting along with people. It has so much. So if you read James chapter 4, you can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4, turn on your mobile devices, however you read scripture. I highly recommend more and more to have a hard copy, not necessarily with us always in service, but as we gather, but, but having a hard copy available to you so that you, you always have a hard copy is a good idea. Um, but nonetheless, James chapter 4 has a lot to do with studying um, uh, really people, how to get along with people. Some people are going to mesh well right off the bat. You know this. You go up to people and you're like, man, I feel like we've been best friends forever and we just met. Other people you've known for years and you still can't get along with. Some people you get along with, some people you don't. Some people are just very immature. Some people are, are so prideful they don't realize how immature they actually are. Some people are prideful and you can't tell them anything. Some people are younger than you and some are older than you. Uh, The older you get, the more that are younger. And the younger you are, the more that are older. But that doesn't mean we can't figure out a way to have a level of a common ground as a church family, as believers, because after all, if the same spirit that lives inside of me lives inside of you, saved us both, we should be able to access that same spirit to be able to figure out how are we going to get along. And James spends this portion of his letter that we call chapter 4 about getting along with each other. Some, some are very far away from God and some are not. But at the end of the day, if you just drive around town and look at people's houses, you wonder, why would you do that? But that doesn't mean because they're wrong necessarily. It means you don't understand. And likewise, they could be looking out their window, looking at you walking down the road, you, and they're going, what are they doing? They're so weird. 
We see each other through the lens in which we see each other. And it's super important for us to keep in mind that sometimes those lenses can be wrong. I know, you're always right, and they're always wrong. But in reality, you're probably more wrong in your evaluation than you give credit for. We've been going through the book of James. Uh, We've gone through chapter 1, and chapter 2, and chapter 3, and today chapter 4. We're looking at James through the understanding of spiritual cooking 201 as we look at observation, observing things of the text, interpreting that based on how we can see Scripture, interpreting Scripture, and looking at commentaries and trying to pray through that, Lord, what does this mean? And then trying to make an application, uh, next steps we would call it, to our life. Now, what do I I do with this text. That's really somewhere, oftentimes we jump to that too fast. What do I do with this text? Well, first of all, you need to observe what's going on. You need to have the proper interpretation before you will ever get to a good application. That You run into this all the time when you just pull a verse out and you say, oh, I like that verse. I'm going to make it my verse. And you have no idea what it means. (laughs) But you make it up to be something. It's important for us to understand God's word because if you really are a Christian, you're going to live like it. And if you're not a Christian, uh, you're going to live like it. And James lays out through his letter to the uh, believers, the the Messianic Jews, remember the Jewish believers that are spread, uh, Asia Minor area, uh, they are spread around and they are meeting together in different uh, house churches perhaps and and they're they're having some issues. And and, And James is talking about how we are supposed to live out our faith. Christian maturity is the top theme of James, Christian maturity. But in in that vein is, what do you do with it? Your faith has to be accompanied by works. Your works do not make you saved. You don't work to earn it. You are saved. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast about it. It is a gift. But if you do have real faith, James would argue that, hey, then we should be able to see something in your life. There should be some evidence. Don't tell me you have a sign in your house or you have a pillow on your couch that say have a Bible verse. That does not make you a Christian. Any more than me having a car calendar makes me a mechanic. Right? And so I want to see it in your life. I want to see evidence. You want to know if if a person is a mechanic? Look at their hands. They'll be a hot mess express, won't they? Right? Especially those ones that don't wear gloves. My father-in-law for 52 years did, uh, did car work. And every time you'd see his hands, like, he, would, he was always going, oh, I can only wipe my hands off. And now being retired, I think he has the cleanest hands ever. But look at a mechanic, and you'll be able to see evidence of that. Look at a Christian and look at their life, and you should be able to see evidence of that. On week one, we looked at how a mature believer practices Uh, practices patience in trials. When you're going through something, this is an opportunity. Now, this is not to belittle what's going on in any way. This is just to bring to the surface when you're going through stuff, and I mean stuff, where you don't want to call it stuff, you want to call it a four-letter word. I'm going through it. An opportunity to practice patience as you wait upon and you rely on the Lord. Mature believer practices truth, lives out the truth, learns the truth, and then even if it's not popular, I live out and I show the truth. Where people may come up against me because I can't believe you said that. 
Um, all I read it, actually. I, I read it. I did not declare it. I did not make it scripture. Anything I say is what I'm learning, and so I'm practicing what I have learned. And, of course, last week we looked at how mature believers, uh, mature believer practices, Trevor, go back one more, uh, practices self-control. This is a hard one because we typically believe that everybody else needs to practice the self-control because you're the issue, not me. And today we're going to learn that a mature believer practices being poor in spirit. Today could very well rock our world. It's, it's interesting, it's the shortest chapter of James, James chapter 4, but we're going to look at what being poor in spirit actually means. You're gonna, we're going to look at this in three sections. Now, remember, the original uh, writing of this, James, was a letter to these uh, believers scattered abroad, and so it wasn't broken up into chapters. I am not a scholar of the text. I just look at the content and I say, okay, so it seems like it's all flowing together here. At first, you're going to see there's this declaration of humility that the, the key to getting along with people, ready for this? The simple understanding of getting along with people, humility. And James is going to lay out what that looks like. And then he's actually going to give three warnings in a row, warnings about how, you're, how they're behaving, and even give us, we can actually look at that as application for us as well. But in chapter 4, they only have two of those warnings. We'll look at the third one next week as we wrap up James and, and we're, we're done with the book of James. But today we'll look at a declaration of humility, how we're supposed to be humble, and then two warnings that actually go along with it. Your genuine faith produces a genuine proof of faith. And so as we study God's word, we need to be painfully aware of the fact that if we're going, what's the point of learning it if you're not going to do it? Right? What's the point of like, oh yeah, I know so much about the Bible. I don't do anything with it, but I know so much about it. There's no point. You might as well just stop. The, the, the point of learning and taking it in is to have that knowledge that you work into action that becomes wisdom. That becomes wisdom. So let's look through James chapter 4. I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to pick it apart little by little, and we're going to follow it along. So James chapter 4, verse 1. Now, I need to make sure that we're on... This is where it's kind of interesting, the way they, they broke it up, but it is what it is. James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and full of uh, good deeds, and, and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Which leads beautifully into, so what's causing the quarrels and the fights among you in James 4.1? Don't they come from evil desires that, uh, at, at war within you? You want, uh, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war and take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. It's all about you, he says. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? 
In some translations, it would uh, set you as enmity, would be the word there. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, he says before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. He's talking about the idea that you should be sad about your sin. If your sin doesn't bother you, there's a bigger issue to deal with. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves, he says again, before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what, what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Look here. You who say today or tomorrow we are going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. A mist, a mist would also be in another translation. Your life is like a mist. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Heavenly Father, as we've read your word, open our eyes to your truth, that we would be able to really take this in and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 4 starts off verses 1 through 10 with this declaration. Humble yourself and draw close to God, which means you can do it. Which means you can do it. Humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. We're going to go through it all again, and I'm going to stop at parts, and we're going to look at this. I'm going to share some observations and some interpretations that I have found, and we'll see if whether or not through your study this week, if, this is, if you have found some of the same things. Preferences tend to be our God. Did you know that? Your preference tends to be your God over the God of the Bible. You know this when you start arguing and fighting with somebody that's actually not a foundational Christian truth. When was the last time you argued with somebody about the Trinity of God? No, but you'll debate the music. Which, no doubt, some music is definitely better than others, and there's definitely some good things. But we're not talking about the lyrics. We're talking about the... the um, the music behind the lyrics. Some people will go to battle with that. Uh, dress even within the, the, within the place of worship. People will not argue even necessarily about Jesus being the only way to God. They'll argue about whether or not pastor had a tie on. Right? 
have these conversations about, I cannot believe that you had jeans. I usually always wear jeans. I just chose khakis today, you know? That's just what I did. And so we get ourselves wrapped up in, in, in preferences over doctrinal, foundational things. We get wrapped up in, in wording, and we get wrapped up in the way people will think a certain way, and they're really just different. They may not even be bad. What is causing the quarrels and the fightings among you? So you have the church people, if you can imagine this, church people arguing with each other. They're not getting along, and they're arguing. And primarily in this group, now this isn't just one group that just read this letter. This was spread around uh, to multiple groups. So this is happening in a lot of places. People are wanting what other people have, and so they're jealous, and they go and take it from them. And in some cases, they will kill them to take it. Seems kind of crazy. People are weird. Seems kind of crazy. Well, it's not so crazy to think maybe they were physically killing people, but because we may not do that today because of the possibility, you know, you're, you're, really it comes down to selfishness, doesn't it? I don't want to go to jail. And so we don't do that physically. But how do we do that with our words? Last week... We talked a whole lot about how we are to watch what we say. And we will kill people's reputations, their careers. We will kill marriages over the knife that comes out of our mouth at people. And a lot of it comes down, and all of it comes down to jealousy, right? I'm jealous over what you have. So I'm going to tear it down so that I feel better. And then if all possible, I'm going to go and I'm going to take that. Maybe it's prestige. In our world, let's just look. I'm not an overly political person. I participate. But if you just look at our political platform, the number one uh, goal, typically, of a politician that I have seen, just looking at what I see, is not for you to see how great I can be for you, but for you to see how bad they are for you. So I'm going to tear them down to such a level that can at least be below me. And then I'm going to say, oh, yeah, and I'm going to care about this and care about that. But they aren't going to be of any good. And so we use this to kill that reputation, to kill that platform so that we can have what we want. And the church people, the believers, the Christians are doing this to each other. I want what you have, and so I'm going to take it. And so James is saying, what are you doing? Do you not see that this jealousy, that this war that's going on is coming from inside of you? It's actually not their fault that they have what they have. As, as though it's, it's, it's against you. The more they have means the less I have. No, it means the more they have. And so we get so mad about that. And he says, don't you understand that it's because of what's going on inside of you. You are mad and you're having all these feelings and you're projecting it. And you're trying to, oh, well, I just, I know, I know what will make me feel better. It's actually their fault anyway. Lie, I'm believing. So I'm going to go take, right? I'm going to steal. And then I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of them. Did we not see this with King David? You know the story? Bathsheba? Gosh, I see something I want, and I will take it. And then I've got to cover up for it, so I kill. We're not so different. 
we just may do this a little differently today. You want only what will give you pleasure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Why would I want something that's not going to make me happy? Because after all, isn't it all about my happiness? People will say things, and I can appreciate what they're trying to say. Find your happy. And I want to encourage people, man, there's a lot of things that I think is going to make me happy. And if I keep pursuing that, I'm going to find a dead end because it's never going to fulfill me. Find your fulfillment, right? And the only way to find fulfillment is really in the Lord. But we try to take all kinds of stuff upon us. Paul calls this out too. He called it out to the Corinthian church, the church in Galatia. He called it out, the same concept. Humble yourself. Stop arguing and fighting with each other. Every time we turn on each other, it makes us weaker if we don't offer forgiveness and move beyond it. We can get so fixated on something that somebody said that we we just can't even be a part of it. We can't even be around. It's too hard. I just can't be here. I got to go over here. They hurt me and I'm gone. And then they go to the next place and the next place, whatever it is, the next flavor of church, if you will, will say, oh man, they were so mad to me over there and it was so terrible. And they had an argument, a disagreement. I got to tell you, I have gone through some disagreements and I have pursued reconciliation to no avail. Sometimes you just can't, but I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to continue to do what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to keep moving forward. I acknowledge that I am not perfect in this situation. I acknowledge they are not perfect in this situation, but together through humility, we should be able to come to a common ground. So how do I even move beyond it? Well, consider this. He says, you adulterers. Now, this isn't a specifically to, to like married people that were cheating on their spouse. But it is correlated. It, it is a picture-to-picture view uh, because this marriage picture of God to his church We are married, vowed to God as the bride of Christ. And so those who are worshiping other things, other gods, they're cheating on God. And God doesn't take that very well. Whoa, wait a second here. It's supposed to be all focused on God. And we're going to the left and we're going to the right. And we're doing whatever we want to, right? Because we're pursuing our own pleasures because of the desires that wage war within us. This is all right here in the first 10 verses. So when you're unfaithful to God, he says, you don't realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, that you make yourself an enemy of God. Now I know we would say, but wait a second, how are we supposed to reach anybody? How are we supposed to share the gospel if we're not friends with the world? We need to get out there. We need to participate. We need to do what they're doing. And I'm going to say, well, let's look at the context of what this is saying and the verbiage. Not to be friends with the world. Think about your friends. Some of us have a really close circle of friends, which actually should be a a lesser amount of people. People you really can pour into and they pour into. These are the people that you can just air it all to. And they're going to encourage you and challenge you back and you trust them. Your outer circle of friends, if you will, or a little broader. But then even beyond that are acquaintances. 
Here is what this is talking about is you shouldn't be so intertight connected to what the world says, but rather more acquaintances. You're aware of it, but you're not hanging out constantly with it. See the difference? And so James says if you're going to be friends really close with the world, by default you are now an enemy of God. This is why it is a complete perversion when church families, people that consider themselves followers of Christ, adopt the world's culture in an attempt to reach them for Jesus. You don't have anything different than they do. What are they going to get from you? Well, here's the thing is we decided to start believing this way so that we could teach them this way. And then they got, you got nothing they want. Only now you're a really great social club and we should put quotes around church. If you're going to be friends with the world, understand, just call it for what it is. I'm going to be an enemy of God, but we don't do that. We say it's all in the name of Jesus. Wait a second, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe God's word. How does that fit? Well, I do. I am a Christian. I believe God and most of this. Do we hear ourselves talking sometimes? People are so interesting to me. We're supposed to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. An interesting observation that I found going into verse 6, and he gives grace generously. So he's talking about, they say that God is passionate, that the spirit uh, he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. Here's the interesting observation. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that's Proverbs 3.34. If you took the time to go back to Proverbs 3.34, you'll look at that and say, that's not what it says. But remember, in our first study at the beginning of the year, we went through the intertestamental period, the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we talked about how the Grecian, uh, the Greek, it just flooded the culture. And they actually translated the Old Testament Hebrew into the, New, the Old Testament Greek, called the Septuagint. And the people that were studying the apostles and everything, Jesus would have even studied the Old Testament through the Greek language. And so when James is... When, when, he's, when he's quoting this, he's actually quoting it from the Greek text. I just think that's fascinating. And I wanted you to see that observation that I found. That's a really cool observation to see. Wow, I see how that fits together. But it is true. God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. The key here is to be humble. So, humble yourself before God in verse 7. Place me under. So, I've got to place myself under God. If I'm going to humble myself before God, I have to acknowledge that he's actually above me. And I'm under him. So difficult. Especially, as I've said it many times in our Western culture, of I, I, I. If it feels good, do it. It's all about you. It's all about me. And the reality is I am called here in this. Humble myself. So humble yourselves before God. Now you may have heard this before. Whenever you have moments of temptation and such. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist. So there's a, there's a key. 
certain steps in a certain order give you what? A certain result. And so before you're actually going to be able to resist the enemy, you have to humble yourself before God. If you're not a believer, you're not going to humble yourself. So you got to be a believer. The spirit of God is the power that lives inside of you to resist the enemy resist the devil so consider this you're having a temptation a tempting moment i'm going to humble myself and i say this consistently i feel like it's daily lord i humble myself before you you are god i am not that's like my buzz phrase you are god and i am not i'm acknowledging that with my words and then i resist the devil what does that mean well tom petty and the heartbreaker said it best stand your ground Stay my ground. I thought about playing it on the guitar, but since I don't know how to play the guitar, I thought it didn't make sense, you know? People are so interesting. And so we're supposed to stand our ground. Just don't give in to it. Humble yourself, and you resist by standing your ground. Acknowledging that the enemy is trying to make it super pretty and attractive to you. It's not that big of a deal. It's only one time. No one will ever know. You need to acknowledge that when you're, when you're tempted, it's a temptation to destroy you. Not to make you better. I know I'm not supposed to, but stop right there. Humble yourself, resist the devil, and he will flee. Flee means run away. When you are, hum- when you are properly positioned, humbled before God, and you resist the enemy because of the Holy Spirit, the devil runs screaming. My paraphrase. But he runs away. He literally is like, ah! He's out, and he will flee. But you have to humble yourself. You have to resist. And then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he flees. So come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. They're talking about ceremonial cleaning there. But when it comes to like this closeness, when it comes draw close, it doesn't mean to just... Here, you come close to me, therefore I'm going to come clo- you're going to come close to me. I'm going to come close to you, right? It's not just like just where I'm standing or where I'm sitting. It's an intimacy. It's me drawing close in an intimate spiritual fashion. It's not just position. It's not just showing up. It's literally I'm drawing myself to God because I'm desperate, right? Now I'm humble. I acknowledge I need God. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw closer. Remember, I'm already a believer, so I can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Initially, I could not. But now, through the power of the Spirit of God, I draw close to God. He draws close to me. And we are real, authentic, intimate, close-knit friends. The word friend has been so tainted by social media, hasn't it? Well, i got a bunch of friends. I don't need, you know, God too. We're not talking about that. Those aren't real, like, that's just, it is what it is. Call it what it is. But we're talking about intimacy, real closeness. And you draw close to God, he draws close to you. So because of all this stuff that James is laying out, he says, listen, you should be sad about your sin. All this this happiness and laughter, no, that should be turning to tears. Repent. 
Run away from all that. Get away from the way that you're living because you shouldn't be treating each other like that. You are the church, the bride of Christ, that one day he will return and take you home. We will be caught up with him somehow, some way in the clouds. You are an ambassador for Christ. You represent. It's like Jesus is supposed to be sitting there. Why oh, can't ask too much pressure? That's why we humble ourselves before God. That's why we resist the devil. And that's why then he flees. We're supposed to humble ourselves. Get along with one another. We are ambassadors. We represent the Son of God. We don't represent ourselves anymore. You see how different this is? It's not that we just add God to our life and flavor it up. It's that I'm so desperately living for God that God is not a part of my world. He is my whole world. And if he says no, then I obey. And if he says go, then I obey. Because I call him my Lord. There's a first warning. Warning about judging others. Don't speak evil against each other. Because this is in the same vein of arguing with one another. Don't speak against each other. Uh, meaning like don't speak down. Uh, upon, like don't, don't tear each other down with the way you speak, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you cr- are criticizing God's and judging God's law. What you're doing when you're criticizing your brother and your sister and you're tearing them down, you are literally then... Figuratively, literally. You are literally saying, God, I got this. Judge Gordon's going to handle this today. I know you're perfect and you're righteous and you know everything, but I know them. And when I criticize and I tear down people, then I'm putting myself in the judgment seat. And I'm telling you right now, you do not want to be in his seat. Because a righteous, sovereign judge will make righteous decisions that you and I will never be able to. We will never be able to. And so we have to make sure that he stays in that seat, not us. God alone who gave the law is the judge. So this is a big warning, judging each other. This is not talking about Matthew 7. When we talked about Matthew 7 before, a couple months ago, we looked at how... You know, you're supposed to take the uh, plank out of your own eye so that you can, what, judge rightly the speck in your brother's eye. So not all judgment is a bad thing. You need to have people come around you saying, wait a second, I need to talk to you about something. Something's not sitting well with me in your life, and I just wanted to talk with you about it. Here's, as I look through scripture, I want to I understand, you're a believer, I'm a believer. What do you make of this passage compared to what's going on in your life? That's appropriate. That's helpful. That's accountability, my friend. The warning is tearing people down, killing them with your words. He says, stop it! Wouldn't that be so easy if we could just stand up here? Counselors could say, uh, stop doing that. All right, pay at the door, right? <laughs> like, just stop doing that. I get it. There's a process. There's all kinds of conversation around it. But we as believers need to just stop. Last week, I gave many of you a tongue depressor. Put it on, man. Stop. 
You don't know their intentions. So how dare us put ourselves in the judgment seat and say, hey, um, uh, the judge's seat, and to say, well, I know why they did that. This is why they did that. Well, I can't believe this. I can't believe that. That's what we do. And we're told that it's wrong. It's not just a bad thing. It's a sinful thing. So don't tear each other down through judgment. Warning number two. Oh, warning number two. Self-confidence. Look here, you who say, and we say this within our team, our dream team, our staff, regularly. We're going to make a plan, but we're going to openly acknowledge that if the Lord allows, we will do this or that. So if the plan changes, we assume we did the best we could, and then God wanted something different to happen. And then we're not freaking out on a Sunday morning. Oh, no power? Lord didn't want us to worship with light. Pack them in. Open the windows. Do whatever it takes because we're going to choose to believe we're doing the best we possibly can with the information we have. And if the Lord allows, we'll continue that plan. He says it in here too many times. People are like, oh yeah, we're going to go do this. We're going to go do that with complete confidence in yourself. And I need to acknowledge that it is not all about me. And I have zero to little to absolute no control. No control. You can't control everything. The control is out of your hands. Stop trying to control people with your words, with your actions. Start trying to control yourself and acknowledge maybe you're a little bit too self-confident. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. Here, it's here a little while, and then it's gone. This is the temporal nature of life. Scripture refers to it as a passing breath in Psalm 78, a withering grass in 1 Peter 1. Life is so, so short and so temporary. And we think that these big things in front of us are all that there is. And we get focused on all the wrong stuff. How many times have you said, well, I was going to go over and see so-and-so or call so-and-so, but I didn't know what they were doing, or I didn't know this, or I didn't know that, so I decided not to. Can I just encourage you to just do it? You call them up and they don't answer. whoop de doo <laughs> Called somebody this morning expecting them not to answer. And guess what? They didn't. So I left a message. And if it's encouraging them, great. If it's not, delete it. I don't care. Let it be what it is. But God gives me this idea to encourage one another. And so I'm going to jump right in because life is so short. It is but, a, it is but a, a mist. In some of your translations, a mist. And I'm, if, if, I, if I'm counting correctly in my mind, I think there's even a dozen of us here, 15 that I could name, but I won't, of people that have experienced this in the past two, three years. Why are we arguing? Why are we debating all this stuff? Like, why are we lashing, not even just debating in a healthy way, I'm talking about why are we tearing each other down? Why are we criticizing each other? Why are we talking down in judgment towards one another? What you ought to say is this. 
If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or otherwise, uh, do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. When we place ourselves above God in any time, it is not anything short of evil. You get that? You understand the intensity of which we're learning from God's word today? It's a big deal for you to play God. It's a big deal for you to try to put yourself in the judge's seat. And every time we do, we make ourselves an enemy of God, and it is an evil behavior. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Wrapping up James chapter 4, wrapping up this portion of his talk with them. Listen, now you know. And if you know and you still don't do it, now it's sin. There's a difference between is the difference between doing something and going, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, man, I, I did that? Now i got to go apologize, right? And I go and I apologize and I make it right. But it's a totally different experience when we know we're doing it wrong and we do it anyway. Self-confidence can be such a liar. Self-confidence in the sense that I've got it all figured out. I'll do it all. No big deal. I don't need God. Humble yourself. Stand firm against the enemy. Stand your ground. And then he'll flee. So what application can I come from this? If I'm looking at some observations and I'm trying to interpret this correctly as I've brought up other scriptures to try to see in scripture, uh, uh, scripture supporting scripture or interpreting scripture, what do I do with this? Man, this is my next step for us. Let's check this out. Humble yourself. That sounds like a good theme from this declaration and these two warnings. Humble yourself. I can't run myself into the ground thinking that's going to get me more popularity with God. You need to humble yourself before God because you know this is true because how many times have you tried to stop doing that thing and you keep falling back into it? Humble yourself before God. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're persevering. And we'll talk about that next week. So acknowledge that you need God in your life, either initially, that you've never actually invited Christ into your life. You've never actually asked for the forgiveness of your sins initially. You maybe you've never understood the realization that James the John chapter 1 says that but to all who believed him and received him he gave the right to become children of God that you believe that you receive that you become maybe you've never done that before but today could be that day that you finally submit your life before him and you say I acknowledge I need you I need you. Up to this point, it doesn't look anything, my life doesn't look anything like you. There's no way I'm a Christian. But I want to be. Or maybe it's continually where you maybe once had a closeness with the Lord, but you have so far walked away and you need to recommit that. Let's take a moment and just think through this together and let's pray. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads. 
And this is a conversation between you and the Lord. Only you know whether or not you initially need to ask for forgiveness of your sins or if whether or not you need to recommit yourself to the Lord. Either way, I want all of us as a church family to repeat these words. Heavenly Father, you are God and I am not. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've done my life by myself long enough. I humble myself before you. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, regardless whether or not that was the first time or you have had a moment of just rededication, fill out that Connect card so that I can empower you and strengthen you. We can come around you and celebrate that you're part of the family of God. Can we just celebrate that for a minute? A part of the family of God. It's a game changer, people. It's a game changer completely. Going on to next week, make sure you read James chapter 5. That'll wrap up this whole conversation, this whole study of spiritual cooking. And then the following week, we're back into Matthew. I can't wait. Will you stand? Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Now devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Say with me, go and be the church.